Hello and welcome back to Motos and Friends, brought to you by the editors at Ultimate Motorcycling Magazine. My name is Arthur Coldwells. This week we bring you something a little different. In the first segment, senior editor Nick DeSena talks to us briefly about the new Honda Navi. At just over $1,800, this little runabout is crazy good value for money and perfect for those I don't know, students needing easy transport around campus, or perhaps city folks looking for an easy urban traffic beater. At any rate, it's a fun little bike and Nick DeSena talks us through it. In the second segment, editor Don Williams gives us a roundup of the various Italian machines announced at the recent Eichma motorcycle show in Milan. There are some mouth-watering motorcycles coming down the pike in 2022, and we're really looking forward to riding and reviewing these new arrivals. So Don will tell us all about those. We hope you enjoy this episode. So you got to ride the Honda Navi, the $1,803, I think, isn't it? Uh. 1807 so you're right on the money but uh you know regardless we're talking about a bike that's extremely affordable <laughs> right <laughs> you know not to mince words it's uh you know somewhere in between a scooter and a motorcycle but its whole purpose is to just bring mobility and kind of expose more people to motorcycling in general right who's it typically aimed at i mean i'm thinking students on campuses and Oh yeah, it's it's not really aimed at your your typical motorcycle base. So it is part of the mini moto family, which includes the, you know the Trail One Two Five, Super Cub, um, Monkey, Grom, right, and the Ruckus. Um, and this really slots itself between the Ruckus and the Grom and the Monkey, so to speak. Um, and Honda isn't looking at the typical motorcycle customer where. The rest of the Minimoto family would, it's really trying to bring in complete strangers to the world of motorcycling. So it has the sort of ease of use of a scooter, so it's just a twist and go little vehicle. And then it's presented in the form of a motorcycle, so it's more in line visually with the, the modern Grom. So essentially, what, what size motor is it? Single cylinder? Exactly. Yeah, it's a single cylinder 109cc. So, okay. you know, serious horsepower. <laughs> right. Um, actually, I saw one down at the IMS show on the Vance and Hines booth with a an exhaust on it with a pipe. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay, I, I don't know how much horsepower that's going to release, but, but uh, okay, so it, does it have any gears? I mean, is it sort of CVT transmission or? No, it's exactly right. CVT transmission. So um, in terms of functionality, you know, like I mentioned before, it really is a scooter. It does have a rear mounted engine uh, mounted on the swing arm like a scooter and okay. CVT transmission. So you eliminate the need for shifting, which is a sort of mental hurdle that I think a lot of uh, would be motorcyclists kind of put in front of them before actually diving in. Um, and it, it just removes that from the equation completely. So it's as long as you can operate the, the brakes and the, and the throttle, you're pretty much good to go. Okay. The, the one thing that I, I was a bit curious about is it comes with odd-sized tires. Why is the rear a 10-inch? Why, why didn't they make them both 10-inch or both 12-inch? You know, 
I actually asked one of the Honda guys at our little event about that, and it's tough to get you know a straight answer. But looking at the the overall scooter market, you will see some mixed match wheels every now and again. Okay. Um, again, I don't really know the true engineering reason for it. What I can say is that with the the 10 and 12 inch wheels, you're kind of dealing with something that, uh, well, it handles extremely. Extremely well in the sense that it's it takes almost no effort or energy or thought to get the thing to turn. I mean, it just. I, I was actually just riding it down the road. And I was like, how little input can I put into the handlebars to make it do something? And it, on in that sense, it's you know it, it extremely user friendly. Again, like we're going to keep harping on that word because sure. you know with that that smaller wheel size it doesn't have much inertia to overcome and it has an extremely low center of gravity so the thing just wants to turn as soon as you give it the ability to do so so some may read that as being a little less stable but i think if you're completely new to the motorcycle segment it's really not going to be the case but um yeah i mean back to the original question i don't know i'm not a man of science so <laughs> But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the aftermarket come up with a 12 inch rear wheel for it. Yeah. I, I mean, mean if, there, if there's clearance for it, there might not be. Exactly. So, you know, there might be some issues with that. Um, but again, it's not totally unheard of in the scooter market. Uh, and, and we have to remember that the um, the the Honda Navi is primarily based off of the Honda Activa uh, scooter, which is offered in numerous uh, foreign markets outside of the United States. Oh, okay. So, right. you know, whatever the Activa does, essentially the Navi does. Um, it's just presented in a, in a different way. Right. What sort of um, top speed does it does it have? I mean, is it capable of riding around town in relative safety? Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, because of, you know, displacement restrictions, it's not freeway legal and it can't no. achieve those speeds to begin with. Right, of course. Uh, plus, I feel like that'd be a little bit scary. But uh, <laughs> um, we can get it up to about 55 miles an hour. Um, oh, 55? Wow. Yeah. So okay. Groms can go a bit faster. I, I think, if I remember correctly, we got the Grom up to like the, you know, in, into the 60s, pretty deep, um, you know, with some drafting techniques and things like that. <laughs> right. But um, the Navi was able to get up to 55 if you just kept it pinned. Kept Took a little while to get there. Um, Roll-off power is kind of waning by, the you know, the 40-ish mile mark. But, sure. again, we have to think about the context for the Navi. It's not designed to hit the freeway or really no, no, no. in general. It's pure get-around-town urban sort of, uh, sort of vehicle. So... 55 miles an hour, that's that's totally fine. You know, if you're just heading around on the city streets and stuff like that, especially if you're in a bigger city. And the yeah. key thing to remember with a Navi, like most scooters, um, it orig originated and was uh, positioned and aimed at foreign markets. So the Navi has actually been in Malaysia, Indonesia, and other foreign markets for a long, long time. And okay. really, this thing is about getting around those major, huge, congested cities. Right. And in that context, I think it does really well. Okay. How does it handle things like really steep hills? And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, San Francisco. I mean, would you be, is it just going to run out of path or, or do you think you could 
it'd probably be okay. We, our little test loop was something like 40-ish miles, more or less, and we were in Costa Mesa in Irvine, California, so uh, not exactly the most hilly places in the world. No, but it does have some. Yeah. So if you, if you were sort of riding around that. We definitely went up a couple of hills, and it was fine. You know, obviously um, uh, nothing as steep as San Francisco or anything, but yeah, it, it, it has enough gumption to power its own little way up a hill and be okay. Um, you know, same goes for the, the Grom or the Z125. And the Z125 I have ridden in San Francisco, although it is comical to ride around in San Francisco, <laughs> it, it can do it. So these little, these little you know, 100cc, 150cc engines, they have a, a lot more than you might perceive just based on a spec sheet. Nice. Okay. That's quite encouraging. Um, obviously, suspension is going to be just shock at the rear and telescopic fork but with no adjustment I, there's no way there's any adjustment no no not at this price point yeah there are no niceties and you know the suspension overall it's it it holds the bike up you know it's nothing to report badly nothing to report in you know the uh, exceptional category so it's absolutely adequate yes <laughs> right. i mean it, it'll take a decent hit but really you're dealing with minimal suspension travel so when you really hit those those bigger potholes which are dime a dozen right. you know um you'll feel them but really you have to be cranking at a decent clip to like really get a, a good shock through the system um, right. that said it does have a decent amount of travel up front kind of a surprising amount it has 3.9 inches of travel in the front and um then unsurprisingly, 2.8 inches in the rear, and that's because you have the rear-mounted engine and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, yeah, it 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 does adequately. <laughs> yeah, um, brakes obviously drum. I assume drum brakes. Oh, oh yeah, that's that's one of the many reasons as to why this bike is the price that it is. You know, drum brakes are well old, we shall say. I mean, right. by the time that I got into motorcycling, drum brakes had gone the way of the Dodo, and um, they're completely extinct on cars by then. Right. But, uh, you know, the reason they're on there is because they're incredibly cheap to manufacture. Right. So, you know, would it be nice to have disc brakes? Sure. Would it be nice to have some of the other amenities? Yes, but we'd also call that a Grom or a Monkey. Right, so, right, right, right. You know, and it wouldn't be $1,807. Exactly. So... You know, one of the, the main criticisms, they're like, oh, it, it doesn't have ABS. And I'm like, well, the good news is it's really tough to lock the brakes. With the brakes. <laughs> and, right. you know, all joking aside, it's the brakes overall, they behave like a scooter. If you kind of have ridden a scooter before, a lot of the weight is uh, biased towards the rear. So the rear brake works. Uh, it's much more effective than the front in a lot of cases. Right. Okay. And, um, you know, these brakes are going to be extremely unintimidating for the uninitiated rider. They're not going to have any issues with things being too sensitive, stabby, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, in terms of ABS, well, it's pretty hard to lock the brakes. And right, sure. the only way that I could figure out how to do it is by basically putting my weight over the front end and... Standing on the rim. Right yeah, I mean, not front. literally standing on it, but mostly. Right. And... Um, <laughs> You know, yeah. as, as we kind of, you know, take pot shots at the brakes or whatever, the, the reality is you're going between 25 and 45 miles an hour the entire time. The brakes are more than adequate to stop the bike right. in that speed delta. Sure. And, um, you know, it's 
they're going to be more than fine. Is it a big deal? No. Will new riders be afraid of the brakes? Not at all. And they'll kind of get into it, get used to it. Um, That said, the front brake is, you know, if you're coming from a motorcycle background, especially a track riding background, you know, a couple of guys that were there like, oh man, this front brake. And I'm like, yeah, it's a scooter. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right, exactly. I mean, it's a paddock bike, you know, if you're a you on a big bike but yeah 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 if you know you're of that mindset and that's sure interestingly enough um an aftermarket company called man in the box they do a lot of you know aftermarket stuff for groms and ruckuses and low, lower displacement bikes and um they they were on hands and they made it a custom bike and their whole thought process was well this is a paddock bike so why don't we just turn it into like an hrc inspired <laughs> thing and then did a whole <clears throat> little motif on that so it had a full system like you mentioned with Fanson Heinz earlier bunch of other upgrades they added a little stereo system to it because like yeah it's going to be a paddock bike you know you're going to jam out between sessions but wow how cool um you know that's just a quick aside so so uh, in terms of the looks is are, are quite interesting because where the engine normally goes is sort of a, a plastic frame filling kind of box but that's actually a storage compartment isn't it correct so and that's a, that's a cool idea I mean, you can kind of, if you've got your school books or something and you're riding around the campus, you can just shove them in there, lock them up and ride off. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big benefits to scooters overall, whether we're talking about like maxi scooters or just your general little 50 or 150cc scooter. They always have storage and they need it because you're jumping around town, going to work or school, whatever. And because this is based on the Activa, it has an area in the chassis for that. So it still uses the underbone frame but the fuel tank on the Navi extends forward to give it the traditional, you know, motorcycle um, look. And that compartment up in the front, because the engine is mounted in the rear, is available for storage. So you have 15 liters of storage. Um, it is a decent amount. You can't, obviously you can't fit a, a helmet in there, but you can shove right. a soft jacket in there, books, oh, wow. you know, um, stuff like that. Uh, so the jacket that I was wearing is, you know, it's pretty pliable, so I could cram it in there if I really needed to. But yeah, if you're just doing basic stuff around town, you'd be you'd be in good shape. Cool. Okay. So, was there anything else that you sort of liked about it or disliked about it? Or I mean, it's it's a fun scooter, and I think the the crucial point is that you know it 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 does the job of a scooter overall. It's always tough to review certain certain products in this category from a purely mechanical standpoint because right. if we said oh well the brakes or the suspension or oh the engine needs more horsepower or something like that it, we're sort of missing the point what we're really right. talking about is a product that appeals to um, you know kids young adults uh, families that just need mobility sure and it's eighteen hundred dollars so that's not a huge price tag to ask for and I think a lot of families or, you know, single single people could actually part with that kind of cash. Yeah, for sure. And get some mobility. Because right now it's, you know, if you live in a major city, your choices are plenty. You have Uber, Lyft, other rideshare apps. You have plenty of scooters that are, um, you know, doing the whole take up everything on the sidewalk thing. But... Um, that can really start adding up as you as you use those throughout the the month and this thing's 1800 bucks right like yes it's carbureted it only carries 0.9 gallons of fuel but can get 
like something like a hundred hundred miles uh, right. to a to a fuel tank. So for a full fuel tank, you're spending like I don't know four or five bucks. It's probably more like a like a uh, an alternate to uh, one of these electric bicycles that are now out there. Yeah, for sure. You know these sort of you know for a couple of grand you can get a you know one of these. There's a multitude of them out there. So I'm not talking about the, you know, the uh, the expensive, you know, electric mountain bike type of things. I'm talking about one of these less expensive, I'm trying not to say Chinese, but Chinese type offerings that are pretty good. I mean, they are pretty good. But obviously this gives you a lot more range and, and, uh, and obviously a bit more speed, a lot more speed actually. Yeah, and, and that, you, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the probably the point, really. Exactly, that's the crucial thing about it is, when you look at the sort of priced equivalent um, electric scooter or bicycle offerings, um, you know, I have a, an electric scooter around for, for the paddock when I'm at, you know, race weekends or track days. Right. And that thing was 350 bucks, $400. Right. Um, and it has nowhere near the range or top speed. And then right. if you were to right. up, you know, you know, up the ante to a, an electric bike, you're already getting into the fifteen hundred, two thousand, three thousand dollar mark pretty easily, even right. on something that might be, um, you know, foreign built or Alibaba bought. <laughs> right. If, uh, you know, you guys are familiar with Alibaba, but the reality is, it's, you know, you're already cresting into, if not way above, the price point of this thing. And like, yes, it is carbureted, drum brakes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but it's a scooter, so who right. cares? Right. Um, Comparatively, we reviewed one of the Super 73 bicycles, which is just a fun, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, beach-influenced and BMX-influenced influenced, um, bike. And those pri the price ranges from, like, 4000 to up to, like, six and seven. So we're talking right. EMTB money. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. 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 Okay, so the Navi really sounds like a really... I mean, when I just, I mean, of course, you know, when everybody hears the price, they're like, yeah, this is viable, without a doubt. If this was $3,000, I'd be like, no. But for for a lot less than $2,000, that's really a very viable machine. Yeah, and again... Just, like you say, around town mobility. Exactly, and and again, Honda's not targeting the, the hardcore motorcycle faithful, because no. <clears throat> for that, that's going to be the Monkey, the Grom... And the trail one two five the super cub you know bikes that are really sure. just pulling at the the heartstrings and of nostalgia right, right, um, right for a lot of riders and you know honda knows what they're doing with those motorcycles those are those are catering to our our sensibilities whereas the the scooter is a you know a tool of the people essentially and i right. think that's a an important difference and something that's quite admirable of honda to do and bring into the, the u.s market which you know, I'm I'm kind of uh, of two minds at because <clears throat> the United States has really not been all that receptive over the years um, right. to scooters, but hopefully stuff like this will start changing that. And then they're taking a you know uh, rising tide you know raises all boats sort of approach sure. where they're like, okay, well if we can get people on this thing, total total strangers to the world of motorcycling, then ostensibly they'll carry on and buy a motorcycle in the future. Hopefully it's a Honda. Right. But it might not be. Sure. But overall, 
sure. the more the merrier. So yeah. that, that's kind of the mentality that Honda has. And, and that's a kind of a rare thing to see, not only in the motorcycle industry, but also the automotive industry, where they're doing it as a, uh, uh, let's say, a, a, a sort of a service to the industry instead of a, <laughs> right. you know exclusive product to, to conquest other, right. other competitors. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you. It sounds like fun. I'm looking forward to just having a bit of fun on one. They sound great. Yeah, yeah, it's excellent. Good little scooter, motorcycles, mo scooter. I don't know what to call it. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah, right, we're all good. Thanks a lot. In this second segment, editor Don Williams gives us a roundup of the various Italian machines announced recently at the Eichmann Motorcycle Show in Milan. These motorcycles include offerings from Motoguzzi, Ducati, Aprilia, Benelli, Italjet and Bimota. There are some mouth-watering machines coming down the pike in 2022 and we're really looking forward to riding and reviewing these new arrivals. Eichma this year is mostly Italian companies because the other companies still aren't ready to go in there and you know, sure. but all Italian bikes is kind of fun. Sure. Yes, it is. I, I agree. So we're going to talk about um, an Italian roundup from an Italian show, <clears throat> the quintessential show, actually. I mean, Eichma. Right. Eichma kind of fell on hard times a little bit because last year, uh, the uh, government restrictions uh, due to health issues uh, stopped it from being open. And uh, this year, they're still not back up to full speed. Not all the companies are there. And so it's still, there's a little bit of polish that needs to be applied to the gym for it to have the same luster that it had for three decades before. And I hope it comes back. But in the meantime, we have seven bikes from Italian companies at the Italian show. Very cool. About. Very cool. And, and that's always going to be worth celebrating. Absolutely. And the first one I want to talk about, which gets me excited, definitely, is the Moto Guzzi V100 Mandela. Now, Moto Guzzi, they also got cheated. <laughs> they had their 100th anniversary this year, but couldn't celebrate it in the normal way because, again, of all the restrictions that are out there. And, but fortunately, that didn't stop them from building the new motorcycle they've been working on. And the V100 Mandelo is definitely not just another Moto Guzzi. This is the, the second century Moto Guzzi, if you, if you want to put it that way. It's uh, the big deal, of course, is it's liquid cooled, first time in Moto Guzzi history, right. double overhead cam, first time in Moto Guzzi history, but it's still the 90 degree V twin where the top end is transverse, the bottom end longitudinal. And uh, so, you, you know, it still looks like a Moto Guzzi motor. You know, you don't look at it and go, what's that? Stick it out there. You know, it, it, it still has the, uh, <clears throat> the look that we want it to have. Right. And the new motor. And again, 1,042 cc's, not, you know, gigantic, puts out 115 horsepower, nothing outrageous about that. That's uh, a standard, you know, a, a, a relatively modest amount for a leader bike. But as we know, it's going to be a torquey, torquey bike. Right. And it, it, it has uh, four riding modes. So they're, uh, Moto Guzzi's dipping into the whole electronics experience. And They've designed it for uh, sport touring. They're they're pretty upfront about that. Although the standard version doesn't have bags, uh, bags and a top, uh, you know, side cases and a top case are optional. 
and a lot of people I'm sure are going to be wanting to throw those on there. Uh, the seat is designed to make the passenger happy, which is which is always going to be good. And it's got a quick shifter. Amazingly, Moto Guzzi and a quick shifter. You don't think of those two going together. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's going to be two different flavors of it. Uh, the expensive spread has uh, Oling's semi-active suspension. Again, another leap for Moto Guzzi to go into that that range of, of performance wow. and and modernity. And uh, another a, a really interesting. Uh, feature that it has is adaptive aerodynamics. It's got little wings on it on the tank area that redirect the wind as, as the speed changes, which uh, that's pretty advanced, again, for, not just for Motoguchi, but for anything. And and we had, we knew that Piaggio had been working on that, but it's, it's kind of funny that it's going to show up first on this Motoguchi V100 Mandelo rather than like a, a probably RSV4 or something like that. So this is electronically changed aerodynamics? Correct. I see. So it's not just some sort of mechanical thing. It's it's actually, it detects what speed you're doing and then operates a servo that changes the downfalls. Right. Wow. And Wow, that's huge. And all this, right. And well, it's not necessarily the downforce that's changing. It's redirecting wind away from the rider. It's, it's more of a comfort thing. Oh, okay. All right. The bike isn't even going to go fast enough for wings to work, you know, for this to have wings. And, you know, all, whenever they talk about the wings, which we'll talk about on the, a little bit later, the uh, new Panigale before, those wings, when they talk about how much pressure they put on, they talk about when the bike's going 185 miles an hour. Right. This Moto Guzzi B100 Mandela is not going to be going 180 miles an hour under any circumstances. <laughs> right. So... This is more of a, of, a, of a comfort thing, but still it's the concept that, that they're adding aerodynamics that are, that are speed sensitive. And I guess the last thing to talk about on that is it's got a TFT screen. So you're gonna have a Moto Guzzi with a TFT screen. When, usually when I'm on one, they have a you know, analog style. And so that's, that's another big step. So- That's a big change, yeah. Yeah, and this is, this is kind of our second look at the, the Mandela. They, they showed us the bike with like, pretty much no information at all so you kind of looked at it you could tell it's water cooled right away just because they're you know you could tell where there was probably a radiator and uh so you, you know you, you kind of knew it was coming uh you know i wasn't sure it was double red cam so it's it's great to get to see all this we still don't have a full spec sheet so that that's going to be you know you know a third look when <laughs> we're going to find that out but it's, it's still what we saw, it's cool. And I, I really, really, really look forward to riding that bike. I, I love Moto Guzzi's and that's, that's going to be fun. Sure. Awesome. I mean, just the whole going to water cooled is a big jump, big, big jump for them. So, so uh, that's, that's great. Yeah. And they did it. They, they integrated it visually very nicely. So it, you don't look at it and go, oh, you know, you go, oh, that looks fine. I mean, the way the Moto Guzzi kind of the motor is designed, putting a radiator up front, you know, behind plastic and stuff didn't really change it. You know, you wouldn't even, you, most people aren't even going to notice. And the, and the cylinder heads, the, the cylinders look air cooled. So, right. you know, it, it all works from a visual standpoint and from a technical standpoint, it's, it's a big step up. So, so, so good for them and good for us. Yeah. Excellent. Next up. And what I just referenced was the Duc new Ducati Panigale V4 and V4S. 
And uh, they're not, it's not all new, but there's a lot of cool new things about it. And uh, the main takeaway from the bike to get you started is they're trying to make the Panigale V4 more track oriented. Right. Which is interesting. Uh, you know, that bike's already pretty track oriented and the people, number of people that ride on the track are a limited group of people, uh, but that's the direction they're going. And the big change to do that, uh, the motor's pretty much the same. You haven't done, had to do anything to the motor. That's okay. It puts out whatever, 210 horsepower. <laughs> it doesn't need much. So what they've done is they've raised first and second gear. Uh, first, they went up about 11%, second gear about 6%. So what that does is it, it tightens first, second, and third, the gaps. The, the gap between first and second, and second and third is shorter. So when you're accelerating, it's going to accelerate a lot harder. First gear being higher is not a big deal on the track because you don't need to go that slow ever on a track. So while that may, might, might make the Panigale before difficult to move around when you're poking your way through the parking lot at the rock store, or even the slowest parts of, let's say, the snake, if, if it were open, uh, it's still, you know, for a track, it, first gear is going to be just right. So they're throwing away some uh, street usability for improved track usability. Right. The other uh, aspect is uh, uh, Ducati claims that by shortening the gaps between the uh, gear ratios, that the quick shifter works better, which is kind of interesting. I never thought about that, but it, it kind of makes sense that if you have a big gap, you know, a big change in RPM as you shift, that the quick shifter won't necessarily be as smooth as it would if it's a really short little gap. Like, choo, 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 choo. yeah, that makes sense. Yep. And they also raise six gear, so the bike goes even faster. Although I know all the Japanese bikes, and I thought maybe Ducati too was governed to the 300 kilometer limit, 186 miles an hour, but maybe not. Uh, you know, who cares about that? The bike people are going to take it to the track. They're going to do whatever it takes to go as fast as they can. Sure. And uh, another change is to the aerodynamics they were able to thin the wings and, and change their shape so that they put out the same amount of downforce, but less drag. So it's pretty cool. Wow. You know, it was like little tiny things like that. Like, oh yeah, we could have less drag at the equal downforce. So they, they did it. And uh, that's a, I mean, a good addition to the bike. Sure. That's straight, straight out of MotoGP, really. Right. Yeah. And they've got all the rider aids you can imagine, and ones you, you know, whatever, whatever electronic you know feature. They, it has the latest version of that, you know, all corner aware, the six axis IMU, you know, wheelie control, rear lift control, launch control, cruise control, electronic suspension, presumably. Well, that's on the S. <clears throat> the S gets the Olin's semi-active suspension. Okay. You know, some people are going to like that. You know, it's kind of interesting that that's the S version because theoretically on the track, you know, electronic semi-active suspension hasn't really caught on. And, you know, you don't see that in MotoGP and that's going to be the gold standard of whether something's a good good way to go or not. Sure. So I think a lot of people, it's going to be interesting, are going to shy away from that. The S version for the track, even though the bike's more designed for the track. So it's a little bit, a little bit odd. They have two ways of tuning, which is the semi-active suspension. They have the traditional clicks, but of course, instead of the clicks being 
manually click. You you know you click it using uh, buttons on the on the uh, handlebar, but it also has something called objective based, where you kind of tell it. You, know, you look through a you know scroll through the menu. It tells you what you kind of want, like harder, harder, lighter, stiffer, things like that. And then so it uses words to describe the change of the uh, the damping settings rather than just clicking numbers. So that's kind of cool. And the, another difference between the V4 and the V4S is the V4 gets uh, cast aluminum wheels where the high-end V4S gets the forged aluminum wheels. And uh, you know, that's, so that's kind of the sum of the, the changes to the Panigale V4, the V4S, you know, the transmission, aerodynamics, all the you know, latest upgrades and improvements in the rider's aid. And that's always a difficult thing to even talk about. You know, oh, the traction control is better. Well, what does that mean? Well, you can only tell that by riding. Right, 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 know? for sure. And even then, you know, we have like seven levels of traction control. Boy, that's, that's a big ask for the test riders, I have to say. And we have, I believe Nick is going to be doing that in less than a week. Yeah. So he'll come back and tell us what he thought. And while we're still on sport models, Aprilia has a new uh, Tuono 660 factory. Sure. And you know, we're used to seeing the Tuono B4 factory editions of the, of the big Tuono. Now the little Tuono gets its own. And uh, it gets, again, tons of electronics. Right. It's got traction control, wheelie control, engine braking, adjustable engine braking, and uh, power production, throttle response, slightly different things and cruise control, all of them adjustable. So you can really tune the bike exactly how you want to tune it. And uh, I'll throw in that as a test rider and writer of tests, <laughs> it makes it tough because so many of these things, if you change them a lot, the bike changes completely. So at some point it's like, well, which bike am I reviewing? Am I reviewing the bike with the fastest throttle response and the most power or the one with less you know with the one with a lot of engine braking or not so much the one with wheelie control you know right and so it's 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 becoming very difficult to fully you could write you know you could write a test on some of these bikes on each power mode and how the bike behaves differently you know the front end turns differently with different power modes and so anyway Right. That's a different issue, but it's one to think about when you, when you, whenever you're reading the review. We're doing the best we can and trying to give you the information that you, you need to select the bike that's right for you. Right, right, right. Uh, and another thing they've done for the Tuono 660 factory is that they've dropped one tooth off the countershaft sprocket. Now, they didn't do that by just cutting one out. They actually made a different countershaft sprocket with fewer one fewer teeth. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but uh, again, lowers the gearing shortens the gaps between the gears so more acceleration uh they'll be cutting out a little top speed but the tuono you know is a, a naked upright and so you don't top speed where are you riding top speed you're not riding top, top speed you're like zooming around town or in local canyons and top speed really doesn't play into it but acceleration does so that's sure. make that bike which is already totally fun even even more fun to ride awesome and they, all, they also added a, a quick shifter standard that was an option on the standard on the normal uh tuono 660 but the factory has a quick shifter uh they also have upgraded the kyb fork and sack shock uh the, and the settings are now more sporty 
So that's just all a little firmer because they know that if you're going to, if you're a factory guy, you need to have factory setting. <laughs> so that's right. That's, that's good. And they have uh, an IMU, so it's cornering aware ABS, and it's got the cornering lighting, which uh, that's a weird feature that I haven't quite. For me, the cornering lighting, when I've used it, you know, I'm out up in canyons, and normally when you go on, let's say, on a right hand turn, and the the walls against you. As you go into the turn, all it does is light up the wall and distract you from the road. So, I mean, if you were doing it like along the Mississippi River where it was all flat, you can see ahead, I can see, but when the turns have something there, it's actually negative. So hopefully they can they can shut it off because I that's a feature I don't get. Anyway, yeah, all right. Another thing is they, they threw a lithium battery on there because they wanted to get it before below 400 pounds with a full tank of gas. So that's a light pipe less than 400 pounds wow right so the tono if you want to go factory they're set up for you okay and now we got i'm going to shift into the adventure mode and this one's kind of funny i, I haven't actually uh, finished the story but it's a little complicated but mv Augusta is coming out with something called the lucky explorer and it's uh an adventure bike first from moto goose excuse the mv Augusta Lucky Explorer. It's the first adventure bike from MV Augusta. Now, as I wrote in my notes here, marketing and motorcycles collide. <laughs> the, anybody familiar with the MV Augusta story of ownership knows all the twists and turns and went from this guy to that guy and back to this guy and over to that guy and you know a lot of different owners. But the funny thing about this bike is that it's based on the Kajiva 1978 Paris Dakar rally bike. That's what this is. Wow. And MV Augusta, well, we were once part of Kajiva. Well, that's true, but that was in 1991. <laughs> this is a 1978 Kajiva. So they're kind of stealing the, you know, the heritage of Kajiva and applying it as if it's an MV Augusta heritage, which is a little, okay. But again, it's just marketing. And if we know anything about MV Augusta, it's like the new regime is big on marketing. Cool. Uh, they had that Black Ocean group who, who bought it. And uh, the marketing they do is great. The stuff, the bikes that they have put out, all these oddball special editions, we'll write about them. Price people go, oh, who's going to pay that? And then uh, that bike sold out on the internet only ordering in 15 seconds or something like that. So <laughs> right. they... They know their market and they they make these these special editions like that new uh, Super Veloce Ago bike. That looks awesome. Yeah, it really does. Him on the bike and they had him riding it, you know, at, at one of the MotoGP races. And so, you know, people who buy Moto, uh, people who buy Infi Augustas are not cheapskates generally and they can afford it and they like it and they buy it. And that's a good business to be in if you can pull that off. So sure. anyway, yeah, we, we, that brings us to the MV Augusta Lucky Explorer, which is actually the Kajiva Lucky Explorer. Anyway, I won't talk about that anymore. There's two different models, and man, they are different. The first one is the 9.5, and that uses the 930cc triple that we're used to seeing in uh, MV Augustas, but it's got 21-inch front wheel, 18-inch rear wheel, so that's not just hinting it adventure that's the full-on dirt bike wheel size pairing it's got 
over eight inches of travel at both ends. Again, that's, those are real numbers, you know, uh, for suspension travel, but it's also got the stuff you would expect on a street bike, like the, the Brembo, I can never pronounce it, Stilemma? Is that how it's pronounced, Arthur? Um, I think it's, I would say Stilemar. I do too, and I don't think that's right. Okay. <laughs> Stilmar, Stilemar, whatever. Okay. I need to call it Brembo. We'll cut this all out. But I, St I, Stilemar by Brembo. <laughs> the Stilemma is what I've heard somebody say. Stilemma, okay. Which kind of makes sense. I'm, okay, I, I'm going to say the story. It's also got parts that you expect to see on a street bike, which, you know, radially mounted Brembo high end calipers. Sure. Uh, the Continental MK100 ABS system. Uh, and the suspension, by the way, is Saks. It's got a quick shifter and one feature that I think is going to really help sell this bike. Not that it needs to be sold to anybody because people who want it are going to want it. But it's got that clutch that you worked on, that you rode, the centrifugal clutch. Sure. That, uh, you know, when you roll off, it automatically, you know, goes into neutral. Well, it doesn't, the, bike, the transmission doesn't go into neutral, but the clutch engages. Yeah. And so, or disengages the transmission, so you can't stall it. And then to me, this is like one of those things that I've always thought, why don't adventure bikes have this? Because, you know, when you're poking through the sand or through the rocks, you know, it's enough that you are doing that. You don't need to also try to modulate that clutch so you don't even have like a full grip of the bars. So this bike has the centrifugal clutch, which I think is a great feature and one that will make it much easier for somebody who's maybe not used to riding an adventure bike ride an adventure bike and even off-road and again it's got the 21 18 inch wheels so they're they're serious about saying hey go ride this bike out in the dirt so uh we'll probably be sending jess out to ride this thing and it will be interesting when that happens <laughs> right and the and the other version of that is the mv agusta lucky explorer 5.5 now this one is I hate to use the term game changer, so I'll use the word game changer. <laughs> I can't think of a better one. Okay. Wow, that's quite a that's quite a testament, though, really. Yeah, I you know there you go. This version of the bike is completely different. It's a completely different chassis, motor, everything. They'll they just have the same name. The five point five though uses a QJ motor, and QJ is the company that owns Benelli in China. So this is going to be MV Agusta with their premier Lucky Explorer name, but with a Chinese motor. Wow. And uh, that's a big deal. It's going to be an all-new motor that's specific to this bike, double overhead cam twin. And we've ridden the Benelli's with that, the smaller version of this. It's the, the, the 500cc edition. This one's a 554. And it's a great motor. Really good. Doesn't, you know, shifts really nicely doesn't make any weird sounds, doesn't sound like it's put together by, you know, people who don't know what they're doing or designed by people who don't know what they're doing. It sounds, works, and feels good. It's a good motor. The only thing I can say about it is the uh, ugly motor. And Benelli's always trying to kind of camouflage it because it's really, they didn't care about styling when they, when they designed that motor. But they did care seemingly about performance. And QJ is kind of a high-end Chinese concern so they their motors you know they don't make just only the 50 cc's and 125s you know they make the big ones right. and so they you know so this 554 big deal though to see that you know you're going to that mv agusta 
dealership and you're used to seeing, you know, $40,000 motorcycle sitting there and all of a sudden they go, oh yeah, we've got this one that's got a QJ motor. You're like, hmm, okay. So perhaps <laughs> it will have a bit more of a QJ price too. And that's going to change the whole perception of MV Agusta. And so it's, this is interesting times for, uh, you know, such an iconic brand. And personally, I'm not, I don't have a problem with them trying stuff like this. I think that going with a different motor and a different price range and a different focus is, is not a bad thing. I think, you know, you'll find out, does that work? You know, does it not work? Right. And, and, you know, people, when Porsche came out with an SUV, people were, oh, that Porsche can't put out an SUV. That's, that's crazy. That's, you know, that's going to destroy their brand. And as we all know, the SUV sells more than all the other cars put together. Right. So, you, you know, if they can sell these bikes hand over fist and that helps pay for the rest of the business, then that's great. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So the 5.5 also has, it has all kinds of high-end parts. So it's going to be really interesting to see how much you're going to have to pay for that. Got KYB suspension, Brembo brakes, and kind of a, a thing that reminds me of the uh, Benelli, 320 millimeter discs. You have this little 550 adventure bike with a pair of 320 millimeter discs and, and Brembo calipers. It's like, really? Okay. And speaking of the wheels, it's a 1917 inch wheel combo. So that's the less aggressive off road uh, wheel combo. So that makes it more of a street bike. You know, it's not a full street bike. To me, whenever I see an adventure bike that has 17 inch wheels, it's not an adventure bike. It's an adventure styled bike, but it's a street bike. The 1917 combo makes it still legit as a as an adventure bike. It's if for no other reason you can put all sorts of tires on it, and in that, you know, we know as we know, tires kind of make the bike more than anything else. And uh, the dry weight is uh, 484 pounds because MV Augusta won't tell us the wet weight. So I'll say that the wet weight is 10,000 pounds because I hate it when they won't tell us what the curve weight is. So I'll just make up a ridiculously high one. So anyway, whatever it is, it weighs the same as the, the, the 950 version. So, you know, again, if you're only going to ride on the street, it won't matter. And there's only five inches of suspension travel. So basically, MV Agusta has their high-end triple cylinder 9.5 version. It's going to be ready for off-road with the off-road tire, off-road tires, which you can't see in the picture what brand they are, but the, and the wheels and the long travel suspension. And then again, with this presumably inexpensive 5.5 version that's going to be primarily a street bike with a little bit of dirt capability you know you wouldn't mind taking it down a dirt road or maybe it's a little tiny bit harder uh and so where that goes i don't know but you know like i said we'll send jeff off just off to the 9.5 but i i want to ride the 5.5 i want to see what the, the, the little junior version is like because that that could be really interesting <laughs> yeah for sure and and while we're on the adv uh topic Benelli has a new TRK 800. Now this year, uh, the American importer SSR uh, brought in the Benelli TRK 500, or excuse me, 502 and 502X, which is kind of the street version with 17-inch wheels and then a, uh, an X version, which is semi-off-road with a uh, 17 and 19-inch wheels. And it's really an interesting bike. Uh, the problem with the bike, is that it's too heavy it needs to be lighter than it is but uh other than that it's uh it was a really good bike uh everyone that rode it kind of had a feeling like 
the motor wasn't big enough for the chassis. Like it was, the chassis is so heavy duty. It's got 50 millimeter Marzocchi fork, you know. Right. That's ridiculous. It's like bigger than you find on a BMW uh, R1250 GS. I mean, that's a big fork. So anyway, right. it was overbuilt. So now, and I said, you guys, Benelli, you need to put a bigger engine in that chassis because it's built for it. <laughs> well, they've done that. Not that they put it, they put in a different chassis, you know, they, they started from scratch because that's kind of how they work it. And as we know, as we mentioned from Benelli, Benelli is owned by QJ in China, but the bikes are designed in Italy for production in China. So uh, this worked pretty well. You know, we've ridden, some of the bikes are not as good as others. That little TNT 135 was great. Uh, the 600 isn't so good. Just depends. But the Leon Sino that we rode, we love that. The TRK uh, for street is good, even though they always have a little few little odd things about them that that you know that tells you that it's not quite done to normal standards you know the, the one i can bring, think of right away in the trk is the levers are incredibly far from the grips so i wear a large glove and i could barely reach them wow so anybody okay. shorty when i when kelly wrote it it was like she has to like take her hand off the bar to reach for the brake and so that kind of takes the fun out of the bike and you can't just shift it and brake without having to go through some kind of, you know, hand gymnastics. Right. Anyway, so this TRK 800, we'll wait and see. Maybe they fix that. You know, they, they, you know, they're fairly agile, you know, in these other, in China when they are building them. So they could change it, but it's got like a lot of good features. Again, the Sedelaric head cam, four valve per cylinder motor, but it puts out 75 horsepower, which is good at just 8,500 RPM. So you don't have to rev it super high to get, you know, the power that, you, you know, going. It's got a six-speed transmission with both assist and slipper clutch functions. And that's something that I've never seen from a Chinese motor. Okay. So they've like figured out how to do that, which is a great thing because the 500 was hard to tell if the clutch was just hard to pull or if it was just hard to pull because it was hard to reach. But we'll <laughs> right. take the, the assist, assist function. Uh, it's got a steel trellis frame that, uh, with an aluminum swing arm. And as I mentioned before, the 50 millimeter Marzocchi fork. It's got Pirelli Rally STR tires on 19 and 17 inch wheels, which that's aggressive. Right. STRs are, are not like street bikes that they pretended you can ride an adventure bike. Those are like real legit. They're not knobbies, but they're the big block pattern that, that is ready for off-road. And it has 6.7 inches of wheel travel at both ends. Again, not super long, but not street short either. And then, and then in this style that we were talking about before, Brembo calipers and 320 millimeter discs. <laughs> and as we can see, the 500 had that, and that bike stopped. When you grabbed that brake and you got a hold of it, and you reached out and be able to pull it in, and it stopped. Because, you know, that's, that's like real braking. <laughs> right. And the TRK has a six-gallon tank, and with it, it gets about 50 miles to a gallon, so it will get almost 300 miles out of a tank. Wow. So you can go, go, you can go exploring. It's a real adventure bike. It's going to have a seven inch TFT screen. That's big. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the 502 has just, you know, LCD, a nice LCD screen, but definitely not a seven inch TFT, which that's great. Yeah. That's almost mini iPad size. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I, yeah. Again, this is another one of these bikes that I'm just salivating at the opportunity to ride. It's like that MV Agusta, the, the Moto Gucci. I don't care about the Panigale. 
I'm not a super bike guy, so I'm glad Nick's off to doing that. Uh, and for little pieces of comparison, the seat height of the TRK 800 is the same as a Honda CB500X. That's pretty good. Wow. That's really approachable. Oh, that is. That's very user-friendly. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's put a lot of people on that. The bad news is it weighs almost as much as a BMW R1250GS. Oh, okay. And it's like, come on, guys. But they they overbuilt. I think, you know, the possibility is that the engineering is not that good. So you just kind of overbuild everything to make sure it doesn't break instead of designing it to be light and strong. You just make it heavy and strong because that's easier. It's always going to be easier. Right. So, and it's going to be less expensive to do it if you don't have to use, you know, higher end materials. But as you said, with the smaller bike, it's going to change the handling a little bit. So it's going to feel, you know, confident when, when you ride it. I mean, a heavy bike always makes you feel confident in it. So it'll be, you know, predictable. It won't be nervous or, or, or strange to ride like that. Right. And that, that, that's funny you mentioned that because the, the 502, the TRK 502, incredibly good front end feel on that bike. Right. And that was true of the Leoncino, which uses the same 50 millimeter forks. Right. The front, the feedback in the front end is unbelievable. I mean, it's heavy, but boy, that front tire is planted on the ground. There's no flex in that, that front end and you feel what's going on and, and the action of the suspension is good because there's plenty of room inside the fork tubes to put legit damping pieces so it's, <laughs> right. it's you know i mean it's kind of we don't think about it but the bigger the diameter of the fork tube the more room you have and it's easier to, when you have more room to to, to make a, a, an effective damper than if you had you know like a, something the size of a pencil you'd never be able to do it but the point is is with the in in terms of weight you know sort of a heavy bike it's not all downside you know i mean light light bikes are desirable and they're 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 fast and they're quick turning and you know and uh sort of a great to ride and especially off-road but a heavier bike can can also if you're not in a racing type situation a heavier bike can actually be a lot more user-friendly in some ways until you pick, have to pick it up in the sand well until you have to pick it up well that's true <laughs> yeah <laughs> because remember adventure bikes you will fall over that's part yeah. of the deal. You know, a street bike, you can reasonably say, well, I'm not going to fall over. Okay, you probably won't. On, on the dirt, eventually you're going to, you know, hit some soft stuff and the front end's going to go whoosh. And then you, now you're going to go, oh, this bike doesn't weigh like 800 weight. This bike weighs 1250 weight. Yeah, okay. Now we're going to the lightweight. We're going to switch over. And this one, uh, the Italjet Dragster. Now, Italjet is a company that has imported United, bikes in the United States in the past, but it's been a long time. And the company's been around since 1959, so over 60 years of history. And they've built dirt bikes, street bikes, scooters, all sorts of motorcycles, two-wheel vehicles over the years. And this Italjet Dragster, it's, this is too bad we're not a video uh, podcast because the thing looks incredible. It, okay. it looks like a scooter with a plastic pulled off, but the frame looks like a superbike, trellis frame with all these bits and pieces that look just top of the line, totally amazing stuff. And uh, it's got hub steering, like I said, trellis frame, Brembo brakes, aluminum style, aluminum handlebars with MotoGP like lever protection, you know, so you don't hit the, somebody doesn't hit the levers when they're going through the cars, Pirelli Angel sure. scooter tires, 
And uh, it's just, yeah, I, I can't, there's no way when you, if you see a picture of this bike, the scooter, because it is, you know, a CVT transmission, twist and go, just a 125 or 200 motor. But you look at it and it's like, that is totally cool. That is like the coolest thing. And one of their test riders, they had a test rider they brought in to set up the suspension. And he's some guy, you might've heard, Andrea DeVizioso. <laughs> right. I think he used to ride MotoGP or maybe he's back now. Anyway, when he was off on his sabbatical, one of his activities was going to Italia and helping them set this bike up. So that's pretty cool, you know, wow. whether it made any difference or not, I have no idea, but, you know, he's got his name stamped on there and I've seen pictures of him, you know, riding the bike. And so he actually did, he did something. It's not just a, a total hype, but if you see this big, oh, I keep saying it, but if you see this bike, you'll just go, oh, I want to have that. And <laughs> okay. the, the Italjet has optional, you know, they have all these goodies that you could buy, like an Acropovic exhaust and Olean suspension. And again, it's a hub steering, so it's got a shock at both ends. So if you have Olings there and you have this trellis frame, you have like the coolest bike riding around town. Oh, look at that. You know, and any, even the guy that's, you know, not a scooter guy, but as a motorcycle guy, he's going to look at that and go, oh man, that is cool. My bike doesn't have stuff like that. And so that's, that's cool. They also have uh, upgrades for uh, like uh, Brembo Master, you know, a radial master cylinder for braking you know so think about that on a scooter and there's a clutch upgrade they offer of carbon fiber all this stuff so the good news it's available in 40 countries the bad news is none of them are called the united states so <laughs> right. you know so we're out of luck uh unless we go over to italy or one of these other 40 countries we can see it but uh yeah so italjet like I said, they're, they've been around for over 60 years. The guy who runs the show is the son of the founder. So it's a family company. And, uh, you know, they've, they've made all sorts of motorcycles. And uh, they, they've kind of settled into this, this little, we've done something on the dragster before. This newest version is just, just startlingly cool. Wow. And uh, okay, so that's, that's what I've got from Eichmann. And uh, like I said, all Italian at the italian show and every one of those bikes has got cool stuff and is is pretty exciting sure the only thing that i would add that um is i believe uh bimota which of course is now owned by kawasaki bimota have announced the kb4 and the kb4 rs and that's something that's that's really um quite different it's got the naturally aspirated Ninja 1000 SX motor in it. Um, so it's an inline four motor, but uh, it's a really cool looking bike. So um, I think that's that's kind of interesting. I mean, Bimota is a name that we haven't heard for a long time. Um, and obviously another one of these Italian manufacturers that's got a checkered history in terms of ownership. But, uh, but I, I think under Kawasaki stewardship, it, it might be quite interesting. Yeah. But essentially, I think as a as an Italian Italian roundup, um, I think that's great. It's everybody's out there, sort of trying to do something and trying to push something a little different. Um, so, I think there's a couple of really exciting bikes in there that that we're going to look forward to riding. Yeah, as you as you said, lots lots coming our way. So we're it's exciting. All right, Don. Hey, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Good stuff.
Of course. Bye. All right. See ya. Bye.